Welcome to the seminar, Accompanying Spouse, Now What? When I refer to accompanying spouse, it could be that your wife is a physician, nurse, or other healthcare profession, or the husband is the physician, nurse, or healthcare professional, and you are the accompanying spouse. Many times as you're applying to a mission, sometimes one spouse's job description gets funneled through the process and the other spouse follows along. In my case, Bill and I were newly married and both in the medical field. My name is Dorothy Ardell and Bill and I are first time grandparents of Baby Haven. We have four grown children, Bill is a surgeon, and my first degree was in medical technology. I currently teach middle school science at a public charter school in Southern California. When we first went to Liberia, I had a defined job description, medical technologist. I had a pretty good idea of what I would be doing on a daily basis. Bill worked in surgery and I worked in the lab. We tried very hard those early years to be on call on the same nights. I knew that he would think twice before calling me to do an emergency malaria smear at 2 a.m., especially when it obviously was malaria. After serving in Liberia for two years, we were evacuated from Liberia during the Civil War in 1990. We then changed fields to Nigeria in 1992. But when we went to Nigeria, Marie was six months old and I had no defined job description. I was accompanying spouse. This made it very difficult for me to answer the question, what will you be doing? The session objectives today are, one, I want to help you anticipate questions you may get from churches and supporters if you are the accompanying spouse. Two, I want you to think about and establish priorities for home life and ministry activities. And at the end, I want you to feel confident communicating with family and donors and churches your tentative plan and your need for prayer. I will start with pre-field and how to answer donors and churches, then move on to talking about when you get on the field and some ideas of different ministries. Pre-field, what are you going to be doing? It is a question that will be asked often. At this medical missions conference, Bill and I are meeting more women doctors with husbands as accompanying spouse. The husband approaches us sheepishly asking, what am I going to do? This is normal. When I make you, but it could make you feel very uncomfortable if you do not have any ready answers. It's helpful to think this through and I'm hoping this seminar will help you to be better prepared to answer this question. I know that when I was asked that question holding my six month old baby, I sometimes felt embarrassed to say I was going all the way to the African continent and was going to be a stay-at-home mom. Even as I prepared this talk, Bill continued to remind me that stay-at-home mom or dad is a vital and essential ministry. The real answer to what are you going to do is, I don't know, but is that okay? Can I be a stay-at-home mom or dad and that be okay and still be a missionary? I used to reply that I was a stay-at-home mom that rarely stayed at home. This was true when my kids were a bit older, but when Marie was two years old and the twins were born, I was at home. I did have outings to go shopping once a week and then attempt church, but honestly, that was all. My main role and objective was to have children who were well-fed, well-adjusted, and a calm, restful home for Bill to come home to after a very stressful day at the hospital. When I say stressful, think electricity goes out halfway through a surgery, that kind of stress. This was my main ministry and I loved it. As the kids got older, 
I was able to add smaller ministries outside of my home a little at a time. When they all were school age, I had opportunities to invest more full-time into ministries outside the home, yet still keep my children as my main ministry. The better reply to this question will probably be, we aren't sure until we get there, but would you pray with us? There will be so many unknowns and maybe even some misconceptions about what you think you want to do. Prayer is essential. And I would encourage you that when people ask you this question, ask them to pray for you. Could you pick a day of the week to pray for me? Ha ask, what about Wednesday or Thursday? Encourage them to pray weekly for you and specifically about your role when you get to the field. Prayer is essential. In summary, before you get to the field, learn about your options. When we arrived in Nigeria in 1992, we came to a new field, new missionaries, new church, new house, and a new car. Remember, in 1992, Google Maps did not work in Nigeria, and I am directionally challenged. Learning where to shop, how to cook, drive to the store and not get lost, and keeping the house clean was a huge challenge. Those were my adjustments. In dry season, you could dust in the morning, and by late afternoon, you would have to dust again. In rainy season, it was the mopping and wet clothes. In the US, I vacuum once a week. In Nigeria, I had to mop the floors every day. So I had a lot to learn, and I will talk about the role of house help later on. I wanna go over four areas to help you and your donors understand the question, what am I going to be doing? Number one, daily life takes longer. I had to learn to cook from scratch. There's no Costco or rotisserie chicken in Nigeria. My grandmother never taught me how to can tomatoes, so I had to learn on my own. I ended up canning a year's supply of tomatoes, spaghetti sauce, mango sauce, and guava sauce. I even tried my hand at making my own ham, and pickles. Cleaning. Cleaning alone was a full-time job because of the dirt we the dirt road we walked every day. If it was dry season, it was the constant dust being kicked up by passing cars. If it was rainy season, it was the mud from the mud puddle my kids would find. Shopping. This usually took me four to five hours a week. The milk store had only milk, cheese, and yogurt. The meat market was an adventure in, avo in avoiding the flies. Don't worry, I pressure cooked all my meat. And Nigerians eat all the parts of the cow and they are all displayed in open tables for blocks. The vegetables and fruit could be gotten from the main market, but I needed to be up for the adventure. I eventually stopped taking Marie with me when her arms reached the food on both sides of the aisle and boxes of food came crashing down. Visitors. I think the number of visitors we had each day in Nigeria was very stressful. Patients asking us for financial help, students asking us for help with school fees, etc. My parents visited us for four weeks and commented that our house was Grand Central Station. There were daily visitors. In the US, if someone rings your doorbell, you're shocked. I still can't get my home group to knock and walk in the house, even after three years of coming to our house. Walk, knock, and walk in, it was normal, so there was always a constant flow of visitors. Number two, it's very important to establish a routine for your family. If you have children, you know routine is essential. Moving to a new place is stressful for them also. We were able to eat breakfast and dinner together as a family, even through high school. These routines were very important to family normalcy. If your children adjust well, you hopefully will adjust well. As the accompanying spouse, I needed to get Bill and the kids into their routine before I could even think about what sort of ministry 
I could get involved in. How am I going to do all this if just cleaning takes all day? House help. I say this is controversial, but it is only controversial in the United States. On the field, everyone has help. I remember one family where both husband and wife were doctors. They had had a nanny in the States and had no trouble immediately looking for house help. I struggled. I was home all day with Marie and was able to keep up with daily chores. Eventually, I did get help so I could start working in the lab for a few hours a day. There also is a little pressure because everyone had help. Even our Nigerian colleagues had someone to help with daily chores. By hiring house help, I would also be helping a Nigerian family have a stable and decent income. This was very true for our first helper, Hawa. Hawa and her family of five lived in a single room with one bed for Hawa and the kids, and her husband slept on a chair. Eventually, we were able to help them move into a larger home. There are risks to, to hiring help. First, it's a lack of privacy. It took me a while to get used to someone else in the house, even when it was just for a few hours a week. After some conflict among some of my house staff, I eventually allowed Regina to help me choose one of her friends, Lottie, to come help. When I started working full time, Regina was in charge of shopping and all the cooking. Think homemade chocolate chip cookies, English muffins, and pizza on Friday. And Lottie had the full-time job of cleaning the house and doing the laundry. Remember, laundry takes water and electricity to be on at the same time. And many days, this was a challenge. You couldn't just start the washing machine and walk away. We also had a gardener and we had a full-time driver. Traffic had gotten so bad in our city that we were concerned that I might get hit by one of the crazy motorcycle boys and get blamed and be threatened physically. Bill always liked to illustrate this by saying, imagine the flying monkeys and the Wizard of Oz. That was the motorcycle boys. Kingsford drove our family to school every day and I could start teaching without being stressed out from the chaotic roads. Regina became a part of our family. She started working for us when the twins were born, and I never would have survived the twins' first years without her. She stayed with us for 18 of our 20 years. I never could have worked full-time at Hillcrest, our mission school, or been involved in the various ministries over the years without her love and dedication to our family. Number three. Listen to all the opportunities. Take your time getting oriented, unpack, and get the house settled. The sooner it feels like home, the better the adjustment for all. Remember, this is not a sprint, it is a marathon. Spend time with nationals and find out about their church and ministries. Ask other missionaries about their work and ministries. When we first went to Nigeria, Bill thought he would be doing Bible study and discipleship with the Nigerian doctors. But as we got to know our Nigerian colleagues, we realized they were very busy with their local church. They were active with navigators, teaching their own classes, and elders in their church. Bill had to regroup. He eventually realized that the hospital chaplains were open to new strategies in evangelism. For example, when we arrived, there were two male chaplains, but on the hospital wards, almost all the wards had women. Obviously, the male ward had all men, but the obstetrics ward was all women, the pediatric ward had children, but always with a mom, and the female ward was all women. These two male chaplains could not really visit women in the wards and talk to them about their relationship with God. Bill eventually was successful in getting two female chaplains hired to comfortably go into the female wards and talk to them about God. He even started spiritual charting, so there would be a documentation if a chaplain, doctor, or nurse had a spiritual conversation with a patient. This way, 
the next person could see where the last conversation had led and not repeat or start over the spiritual conversation. Number four, don't rush. Our first week, we went to other missionaries' homes for dinner. This relieved the stress of cooking, and I usually walked away with a few more ideas of what I could make for dinner. It also gave us insight into other ministries. But I also felt pressure to join everyone's ministry because they all were desperate for help. I eventually joined a small Bible study with women from different mission agencies. One funny story was that we were doing a Beth Moore Bible study and the video portion had to have subtitles on because our Northern Ireland and Germany missionaries had a hard time understanding deep Beth's deep Texan accent. Sometimes we actually had to pause the video so we could translate from Texan to English. These opportunities gave me insight into what others were doing. Take your time. There is no rush. I actually started my first ministry in an established work. I volunteered to help two to three days a week in the lab in the hospital. It was actually a lot harder than I thought. There was very limited instrumentation, so we were doing red blood cell counts by hand. I enjoyed reading the malaria smears since these were the first real positive malaria cases and not the stock slides that we were given in our training in the US. I also loved parasitology and was excited when I found two to three different parasites in a smear. Um, I guess that was bad news for the patient. I was also working in the lab as we began the very first HIV testing and help think through a protocol call for confidentiality and testing. The challenge was that even after six months of working together, I still was not able to convince the staff to wear gloves when hand handling specimens. It was early in HIV, but they did quickly find the one box of gloves when they saw me coming into the lab to help. Ugh. They eventually did wear gloves all the time, but it took a long time to get there. They also liked to skip running standards and controls, but I kept trying. I think some struggles were because I was a woman working in an all-male lab. I realized that some things I just couldn't change. I began to realize that normal routine can lead you to your ministries. I remember being invited to a friend's house who had middle school children. The evening was so stressful as we tried to keep our active two-year-old from putting everything into her mouth. There were Legos everywhere. At that point, I decided it was easier to have friends to our house. That began my ministry of hospitality. We invited our Nigerian colleagues and had a constant flow of medical students at our hospital for four to six weeks. One of my goals was to be sure that I fed these medical students at least once a week so I was certain that they would get a good meal and get some ideas for feeding themselves. We also preferred visitors at our house so we could maintain normal bedtime routine. We would finish the meal, we would excuse ourselves with the kids for bath time and bedtime routine. When the kids were all tucked into bed for the night, we returned for dessert and adult conversation. I remember one time Marie didn't ask what is for dinner, but she asked the question, who's coming for dinner? I guess we had a lot of guests for dinner. I wish I had kept count. Another normal routine was grocery shopping. I remember that there was one street boy that I would see every week at the first store I would stop at. When I left the store, he would be there offering me help to put my groceries in the car. I would wave goodbye, drive down to the next store, only to be met by him as I came out of the second store. This repeated even to the fourth and fifth store. I actually began to expect to see him and looked forward to seeing him. This had gone on for months. Then one week, he wasn't there. 
I was deeply disappointed, but anxiously looked for him the next week and the next week, and I never saw him again. I was deeply disappointed and felt guilty that I couldn't even remember his name. Later on, I found out that these street boys would never tell you their real name, and he probably told me a different name each week. I asked several Nigerians for advice and help and eventually just started a weekly feeding program for these young street boys. The ministry was called Gidambege. This ministry continues to this day, feeding over 200 boys each week. We have successfully reunited boys to their families and have over 500 boys and 100 girls living in village-type housing in several states in Nigeria. Another normal routine was attending the Nigerian Women's Fellowship Bible Study in Hausa language. I originally attended because I wanted to help with my language learning, and then I continued to attend because it was so refreshing to hear 200 women praising God in a different language with traditional instruments. I heard their prayer requests, I visited in some of their homes, and I began to see their lives as similar and yet different to mine. In the early 1990s, HIV AIDS and Africa was in the nudes with specific emphasis on Uganda and South Africa. Bill and I watched CNN each night and would read the International Times magazine. I could see what was happening in those countries, and about that time, we had begun HIV testing at the hospital. Our positivity rate on healthy blood donors was near 10%. That was high. I remember listening to the Bible teaching in Hausa. Um, okay, so after about 10 minutes, I would tune out because my Hausa wasn't really good enough to follow that long. And by that time, my brain hurt. But as I was listening, I began to look at the faces of these women, market women, teachers, nurses, and I realized that they did not watch CNN or international news every night. They did not read the International Times Magazine each week. And there was a tsunami called HIV that was coming their way. I saw it coming, but they did not. I began to read all I could about Uganda and South Africa's strategies for prevention and education. And we began to work a strat strategy that worked in the Nigerian context. I ended up writing a home-based care curriculum for Nigerian women. We began trainings and were excited to see the women begin to understand how the church could respond to this HIV crisis. My list can go on. Each ministry for a different stage of my children's life. When the girls were four and two and two, I invited other preschool moms to our house and we rotated the teaching and craft time with those who were off that week, sitting in the living room, talking, drinking coffee and praying. I worked in our business office when they needed help in the finance office. My response was, I can count. I can give out money because I know how to spend money. I think I did okay filling their temporary need. For many years, I was in charge of our annual spiritual emphasis conference. Missionaries came from all over Nigeria for a time of rest, teaching, and community. I contacted churches from the States to come and run a VBS for our missionary kids. It was a refreshing time for some very exhausted missionaries. When Marie started first grade, I asked the teacher if I could help somehow. I ended up teaching three children who were struggling to read one hour per day and ended up loving being in the classroom. When the girls were in middle school, I was able to get my teaching credential while we were on furlough and returned to teach third grade for two years. David, our youngest, was one of my students. I thought it was fun. I'm not sure how he felt. After teaching for two years, I was asked to be the elementary school principal. I was surprised how much I loved administration. So in summary, 
Before you get to the field, anticipate the question, what will you be doing? And be okay with saying, you're not sure, but pray with me. When you get to the field, take your time getting set up. Remember that daily life takes longer. Get into a normal routine as soon as possible. Don't rush. Consider established ministries first. Be flexible with your role and ministries. And finally, ask for others to join you in prayer. And you will be praying also for God to show you what areas in his kingdom that you can have a role in. And lastly, I can promise you will not be bored. Thank you. And yes to the question, our kids are normal. They have great memories of growing up in Nigeria and they're deeply offended if you ask them if they wish they had grown up in the US. So feel free to contact me at bill.ardill at sim.org if you would like to chat about missions and about the role of accompanying spouse.